their job is to bond with the livestock, which is very different than just tolerating the livestock. They actively bond with them and they protect them from other predators. Hey, you guys. Uh, Good morning. I'm thrilled to be back sharing episodes with you. Wanted to give you a quick update. I'm sure you all saw on social media that I took a mini break so I could focus my emotional energy on the Dixie Fire, which blew through the town where my father lives. And if you've been following along, you know that they lost their home. But to spare you any gloomy details, um, they were able to go stay with my mom in a neighboring town with all their pets and the few things they had time to grab so they are safe. My dad, who is a football coach at the school in that community, is able to practice with his kids who are evacuated in the same town on the field at my high school. Um, My youngest stepsister just celebrated her birthday a couple days ago. She turned 18. My oldest stepsister uh, was able to find a job at the grocery store where my mom works, actually. And she was working at the one in Greenville, but that is no longer an option, unfortunately. My stepmom already worked in Quincy, which is the town where they're staying, my hometown. So they are settling in. Thank you so, 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 so much to every single one of you who's reached out about my family, offered to help, donated, shared your own story. You did so many incredible things and continue to do so. So thank you. Um, A little bit about today's episode. My guest, Natalie, is my final guest for season two. I've obviously edited part one, but there's a ton of information she was gracious she was gracious enough to share with me not once but three times, including a whole session that didn't get recorded and I want to make sure I'm sharing all that info with you because it's really important so this interview is going to be split I think into three parts I haven't finished editing yet, but I believe it'll be three parts rather than just two because of just how much amazing information I have for all of you and her and I are both pretty wordy people we both love to talk um natalie lives in montana i met her on clubhouse you may hear her reference northwest guardians but that is the business she was working under when we recorded you can now find her at apex anatolians on facebook and um like online apexanatolians.com and at practical farm girl on instagram so let's go ahead and get started hey i'm natalie thurman um i live in western montana and i teach people how to select their source and their puppy and then train them up to be working livestock guardian dogs. Um, These dogs live outdoors primarily with livestock and keep predators from eating your animals, um, which is a big deal. They're um, not ideal for every situation, but where they are warranted, they are as most people call them, worth their weight in gold. So um, I run an online school with courses for people just getting started. Um, And I have, which we'll get to, I think, in a little bit, um, I have a a quiz that you guys can take to get your predator score, which is basically just a number of your pressure of your predators on your property and on your animals to see if you even would benefit from an LGD because not everybody does. So um, that's a little bit about me. Oh, we've been here for 10 years, 11 years now. Wow. Long time. Um, and we've had LGDs since the day we moved in. So um, that's when we started with our first one. So um, it's been a, it's been a while now. And, and I do, I do breed health tested working livestock guardian dogs 
um, which is, you know, it's a good thing to do if you can. So uh, that is me. Thanks. Excellent. Um, I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for coming on and being willing to talk about your dogs and kind of educate a little bit about lifestyle guardian dogs. Um, before we talk about dogs, though, let's talk about your background. So you live in Montana. You live on property with animals. Tell me a little bit about your other animals and your property. Sure. Yeah. So we're a little over 10 acres. We have a hundred foot elevation change from the front of our property to the back, including like a really awesome clay cliff that likes to erode every spring. It's very fancy, um, which is prime hunting grounds for cougars because they can just sit up top and wait for deer or, you know, my sheep, whatever, um, to just walk on by and then they can pounce and take them. Um, we are also heavily treed. So, um, we basically own a forest instead of like what you would normally consider farmland, like a pasture. Um, these are all complications that led me to go for the livestock guardian dogs. Um, I tend towards the weirder or more niche uh, livestock. So our primary stock animal is the Cooney Cooney pig. They're, um, from New Zealand, they are small, like they are legit pigs, not hogs. <laughs> um, they get like 200 to 300 pounds when they're grown on average. They come in fun colors. They are short and squatty. They're a large type pig. And um, their big selling point for us was that they graze on the grass like any other normal uh, stock animal. And they also don't root up your pastures, um, which is a big deal when you're the one who has to go maintain your pasture grass. So, um, that was, uh, that was why we picked them. And we also have two human children who we were not a fan of having hogs around, um, like commercial size hogs. So, um, that's why we have the Cooney Coonies. We also have some Katahdin hair sheep and a couple mini cows. And I just got a New Jersey heifer that I'm really excited about. And then we also have, uh, ducks and chickens that free range, and which, you know, usually you don't really do in Montana because, you know, there's eagles and ravens and then there's all the terrestrial predators as well. Um, but they do fine here because the dogs and then we have rabbits and we just started quail and uh, we have cats. I mentioned the human children. They kind of count because they get protected by the dogs, too, when they're playing outside. So, but yeah, we've got a little smorgasbord. It's not a like a large uh, acreage operation with just like a thousand cows, but, um, we have like a little, a little pinch of everything kind of. And, um, what I, what I tell people is like, you know, yeah, I don't have like a million animals, but what I do have, I want to keep. <laughs> so I don't have an acceptable loss column here. Um, everything I bring to the property, I, I plan for it to live here, <laughs> you know, not die here. So, um, that that's kind of why we went towards the dogs for sure. I love, I love that you say you have, there's like no acceptable loss. Well, if you're like, if you talk to a rancher, there is literally on the books, there's an acceptable loss column. It's usually around five, 5%, right. you know, they, they expect to lose a couple cows a year out of a hundred head herd. And they expect to lose about 5% to 10% of their calves 
whether it's to neighbor dogs or, you know, umbilical infection or, you know, whatever. They just, they expect it and it's acceptable loss and they just write it off um, either to insurance or on their taxes. And um, I don't. (laughs) It's a little different. Like, so that basically puts me in like the homesteady or the, like, you know, the hobby farm uh, category, I think. Um, Cause like, you know, they have names and I want them to live. <laughs> not that ranchers don't want <laughs> right. their animals to live. It's just like, you know, logistically it may not be realistic for them always to have a hundred percent except like expected survival rate, you know? So, and I get that, but um Anything that can help that, I think, is a good idea as long as the setup is correct for some dogs. <laughs> um, okay, so question that's a little bit off topic. What kind of ducks do you have? Um, we have some Pekins right now. And then we have some okay. Swedish ducklings that I'm raising up because they oh. look cute at the farm There's, store. Those ducklings are so so cute. Okay, I will say Pekin ducklings are awfully cute too. Do you guys raise them for meat or as pets? Um, so we actually raise them for the eggs. My kids um, okay. are, are now selling eggs professionally at seven and nine. So um, <laughs> they, they run Good around and collect all the eggs. And so we just we eat the eggs. Um, I haven't incubated any this year, but I plan to. And then we'll have um, some of our own some of our own ducklings to, you know, grow out. And if yeah you can't run extra drakes like we have a lot of extra roosters right now but they're all mm-hmm. icelandic roosters so they're pretty chill they're not super rapey like normal roosters are and they've all been raised together yeah um so they're not damaging my my girls but uh ducks if you have extra drakes like it's a problem yeah so obviously when we hatch out some like some of those will be eaten we're, we're not the people who throw free animals on Craigslist and expect good things to happen to them, you know? So, um, we, right. we let them live good lives and then when their day comes, they don't know what's coming and I call it happy meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I was curious about, um, the breed. We had some ducks prior to moving, um, back into the city. We live in Austin now, but, um, we had some ducks and one of them was a Pekin duck and man, was she loud. She was so noisy, so excited, but so noisy. Yeah. Ours isn't super loud. Um, her name is Tinkerbell. Her husband's name is Aflac because it's a white duck and how could you not? <laughs> um, right. Yeah, no, she's not super loud. And we do have a ruin out there, but she just, she hides from the Drake constantly. So I don't know that, that uh, we'll hatch any of her eggs (laughs) so yeah no they're they're fun and they lay you know giant eggs that have giant yolks in them that are great for baking so they they taste good i was trying to explain to someone um who did not have ducks like the similarities in the eggs between ducks and chickens i'm like yeah they taste about the same i was like i prefer duck eggs for baking because they're richer some people don't like that i do um like i'll eat them as scrambled eggs too i don't care (laughs) yeah they are uh, there are different i don't actually in like love or enjoy particularly chicken eggs like cooked anyway um so i do like duck eggs but like one 
in a while, like not one a day, the like what I get from a single duck all summer long, you know. So um, you got to find other uses for them. So they make good brownies and they make good cakes because they're very rich. So it adds like some extra texture to the the stuff (laughs) they make good gifts if you want to give them to friends (laughs) yeah yeah no people people really like them so it's good (laughs) (laughs) okay so you now live in montana are you from montana or did you move up there we moved up here um i'm originally from california which is now if you put that on the podcast it's gonna could get me kicked out of montana um but I, we moved here from Phoenix uh, back in 2010. So um, we basically got goats down in Phoenix because we were in a certain like county island where we could have them. And Tim like mentioned like, oh, you know, we could uh, go to my place in Montana. And I was like, you have a place in Montana? Like, that sounds wonderful as someone who like thought she was going to be a vet when she grew up, like I can just have all my own animals. So, um, yeah, we did, we, we moved in, but like I told him at the time, like, you know, Oh, there's predators there and we have expensive Nigerian dwarf goats. We're definitely going to need an LGD, but just one famous last words. My poor husband, we have six right now plus puppies. (laughs) I feel like those are definitely famous last words. Oh, it's it's just one. Just one, honey. And of course, he was like, ugh, <laughs> fine. Like, just the one. And then we had, like, bears. We had a bear when he was a puppy. And we had a wolf actually come in and try to lead him out when he was about a year old. And I told him, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm like, he needs a partner. Like, he can't be out here alone. And so he was like, okay, fine. And then... We just had people who were like, hey, um, are you going to have puppies? You know, like they do anytime you have any animal. They're like, mm-hmm. are you going to have piglets? Are you going to have calves? Are you going to have anything? They're like, shut up and take my money. Is like the, It's like the country version of shut up and take my money. I'm like, yeah, I, I can, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that was the super awesome way we got started. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's long suffering um, okay. and awesome. <laughs> can relate um okay so you said they'll kick you out of montana but we're going to talk a little bit more about you growing up in california what part of california so i'm from from anaheim hills which is like on the opposite side of anaheim from disneyland if you can imagine such a thing like up in the hillsides i'm i'm also, I, so I'm also from California and I'm from Northeastern California, but have a lot of family down in that area. My grandfather, before he passed, was in Seal Beach. Oh, yeah. My godmother is um, in Westchester. My godfather's in Redondo Beach. Nice. So intimately familiar with that that particular part of Southern California. Yeah, I remember Seal Beach for all those little tiny, tiny shells, like the little tiny clams that they would like wash up on the shore all the time. At least in the 90s. I have no idea what it looks like now. But. Um, I would imagine it probably looks similar. My grandfather moved there in 2007. Um, and it was it's kind of like a. As far as you know. The larger greater Los Angeles area goes. It's kind of a quiet little 
beach town still. So nice. It's nice that they can keep that going. Not turn into a whole circus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just the half a circus right now. Yeah. That, well, that's, that's actually good <laughs> for California, you know? So yeah, no, I grew up, I grew up in Iron Hills. I, um, I went to like smaller private schools, which I know sounds bougie, but I mean, it wasn't the, the options for public schools were, um, kind of thin in our area at least. So, um, I did that, which meant that I didn't get into 4-H because we didn't, like, I guess, research it enough and realize that you could do 4-H still if you went to a school that didn't have a program. You could just sign up yeah, for the club so, separately. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for people who don't know anything about, like, California and in particular the greater Los Angeles area public school system, it's not great. But there's a ton of, like, smaller private – a lot of them are charter schools, um, which – sounds it does it sounds bougie as hell but um it's not it's just an alternative to the really crappy public standard like public ed that's there yeah yeah it's it's um it wasn't like just for the elite or anything like that like it was just um it was one of the options kind of um so yeah but you know it was it was it was good i i had a, a good time with it um i didn't have any issues in school which is nice, which is like kind of unheard of in the public school system down there. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes to show that like my parents knew what they were doing in that way. Um, and we also, I mean, we lived in a like, you know, HOA. Right. So I, I couldn't even have like a chicken, much right. less a, a steer. Right. So um, I did not have any livestock uh, experience beyond like going to petting zoos. I was like the little girl at the petting zoo who would be like, oh, it's okay. And like, let the goat just chew on my dress and like chew holes in my dress. I'm like, it's okay. Just love me. Like, we're fine. I was that kid. So, I was too. Um, yeah. And I was like, and my, like, you know, we're like there with my Girl Scout troop. And my mom's like, where's Natalie? Like, oh, she's being chewed on by a goat. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I've always I'm been like, more animals than people. That's how I'm too. It would someone's large, like not goats, because goats scared me a little bit growing up, but someone's large like pet deer or their large dog would just like run up and bowl me over and I'm like, it's fine as I like whack my head on the ground. I'm like, they were just excited. You're you're like, I still bounce. We're fine. We're good. <laughs> like come back, love me more. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh there, it's a it's a special breed of human who's just like I don't really care what an animal does to me like I'll still love it tomorrow like the people on the other hand oh man like cross me once <laughs> <laughs> like but you know a horse kicks me like I'll still also groom him and pick his feet and then I'll ride him tomorrow you know it, it's fine we're good still like I'll heal <laughs> strategies through hands-on experience with clients all across the country. I took these proven strategies 
and seeing a need in the Western industry, decided to serve my babes, my Western and rural women, and support them on their journey to being a successful business owner. At the Western Cab Specialist, I offer one-on-one coaching and strategy sessions, Shopify website design, social media management, and a slew of trainings. My most popular program right now is called the Punchy Paycheck. The Punchy Paycheck is a monthly membership that includes a live training each month on a topic chosen to help you grow and maintain your business, a live Q&A session, and a private group chat exclusive to Punchy Paycheck members. All this is valued at over $300, but to allow as many Hoss babes as possible to participate, it is only $29 a month. This program is a perfect first step to growing your business or an amazing accountability tool to keep you pushing yourself past the level you've already reached. If you'd like to sign up, you can head to thewesterncapspecialist.com. You can also find out so much more about me and my business on my website and a direct link to join the Punchy Posse, which is a group exclusively for Western and rural women business owners. I would also love to connect with you on any of my socials. You can find me on Instagram at Sophia Solzner or at the Punchy Posse and also on Facebook, just the Western Cup Specialist. I look forward to chatting with you and I really hope you enjoy the rest of this episode with Harley and her guests. That's funny. So, we are Yeah, no, I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't do I didn't really have any lives. I grew up, of course, with like a bunch of regular hamsters and dogs and um i got a snake in first like for getting straight a's in first grade which is not as normal uh, i got a cool ball python his name was slither um and then i had a bearded dragons we had a monitor lizard like we were into reptiles i was one of two girls and my, my mom was like not a girly girl either so we had like normal dogs and hamsters and then we had like the reptiles who we'd have to like go to the pet store and, like buy mice for and people were just like what is are you saving these like <laughs> hoping that I was rescuing them and I was like no you're like <laughs> yeah like I don't want to explain this to you further but no like I'm not I'm not that kid um but yeah and then I went to college at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo which is kind of up in the middle of the state um near the ocean so like central western California um and I went there for animal science I thought I was told my whole life like oh you should be a veterinarian when you grow up you know like every other girl on the planet or at least every other girl who loves animals is like you should be a vet and they're just like pretty much that's a lot of fucking school that's a lot of suicide. Well, not only that, but like, so when you're told growing up, you should be a vet when you grow up, no one is telling you you should grow up and spend 70% of your time euthanizing animals that either don't need it or went too long or that you've known since they were babies. Yeah. So it's like, it's not just hard on the client. It's really hard on you too, you know? Um, like, no one thinks about that aspect of veterinary medicine or like losing them on the table or, you know, emergencies come in and nothing good happens. And, you know, no one talks about that. They think they like the average public believes that going to the vet's office is what you do when you get a new puppy. And like, you're welcome vet's office staff for meeting my new puppy. Like that's what they associate with the vet's office. They don't associate a hit by car or, uh, you know, a 14 year old poodle who is blind and deaf and has diabetes, but their owner will not put them down because they just can't bear the idea of losing them. Um, it's a very emotionally 
taxing job that you yeah. uh, did go to a lot of school to be able to do and you have a lot of student debt and um yeah so I, I looked into it a little bit and the a it's more competitive than it is to become like a plastic surgeon for humans which is weird uh just because the sheer number of schools is so small um but then you have this student debt that like when I looked it up back in 2008, the average age of a veterinarian paying off their student loans was like 64, which basically means you don't retire. Right. You can't afford to. So not only do you go to grad school and you're a doctor, but other doctors don't treat you like a, a real doctor, even though, you know, way more, you know, body systems than they do. You have a very stressful job your entire career. You are saddled with debt the entire time. And then you get to the end of the road and you're like, why did I do this? (laughs) Like at least half the time. So I decided against that route. Um, And I, you know, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll go be a nurse. And then I was in the middle of getting my nursing school prerequisites when I met my husband. So... Yeah, I just I decided to move to Montana and just have a, a little farmette, I guess. Farmette. <laughs> um, like, I can't call it a farm. It's like 10 acres. Like, back east, I guess, 10 acres is a lot. But uh, here, it's like, it's like a postage stamp. Like, real ranchers look at you and they're like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, oh, I, they're like, you just have a bunch of pets. Like, what are you, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? what happened to you as a small child that you think that you're being a productive member of society? Right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm like, well, I grew up in California and they're like, they like make the sign of the cross and hiss at me. Uh, <laughs> they're like, Oh, that explains so much. And they like slowly back away. Uh, but yeah. So, you know, it's, it's different. Um, it's a very different lifestyle up here than the one I grew up in, but I like it for my kids and um you know it's 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 a lot of more responsibility on the kids because like you know I, I expect them to go help me feed and water every morning and collect eggs and and do things with their lives uh, rather than just like you know play video games or watch youtube so i think that makes me the mean mom but i'm totally cool with it i'm thinking about just getting a shirt that says the mean mom and then <laughs> They know that, like, they can call me the mean mom all they want, but it won't hurt my feelers because I already embrace it. So, <laughs> but I, I mean, they, they get to play. I, we, we say we raise them like it's 1999. Like, they go play outside till it's dark kind of thing, um, which most kids don't even know what that means anymore, you know? So, um, one of they don't the, appreciate it now. They might later. <laughs> yeah. One of the I things I was super excited about when we moved into, we're living in an apartment. Uh, when we moved into our apartment was there's kids outside all over. I Like I'll hear kids. It'll be like getting dark and I'll hear kids like yelling and screaming like joyfully outside playing. And I'm like, this is such a, this is so nice. Oh, yeah. When I lived in an apartment in Phoenix, I had the exact opposite uh, reaction to the screaming children, although they might they weren't really joyful in my defense. Like they weren't like happy screams. They were just like screams, <laughs> like almost constantly and drove my dogs nuts. So, yeah, it's quiet here. We like that. 
Except for the cougar screams. Can't forget the cougar screams. The cougar screams are a completely different thing. Like, first of all, they sound like a human woman yes. crying for help. Yeah, um, it's terrifying. It's it's real bad. Like, so our first, I think, month here. So I've got like an eight-week-old LGD puppy and my goats. And they're just like chilling in the backyard. And I'm just like hanging out. And then I, I think... I hear a lady scream um, up the mountain from us, like up on the back of our place. And of course, idiot me at like, gosh, what was I? 22. I'm like, oh, I'll go save her. So I grab a shotgun and I take off up the hill, which, uh, (laughs) dumb, don't do this. So not only do the cougars scream, but um, they, when they bite, they bite the spine over the back of the neck they don't bite underneath like where the jugular is like a canine predator so they have a different kill method fun fact um so when they do that to say a doe like a deer they their larynx is still intact and so the deer will also scream and sound like a human in distress um so like the, the mom cougars will call to their babies and make like little like cries and screams and stuff. But when they kill a deer, it really sounds like a woman screaming. And, um, so I took off up the hill, you know, I'm going to go save the world because my idiot self is young and dumb. And, uh, I'm like, you know, calling out. I'm like, I'm like, where are you? I'll, I'll save you. I'll, I'm here to help. My name's Natalie. Uh, just so dumb looking back it's super embarrassing but like I feel like if one person doesn't do what I did because I tell the story like it'll be worth it um so I'm like searching around searching around and then I like stop under this tree because it's all treed up there and I'm like just like looking scanning the horizon trying to do like like you know the responsible thing and then it's like it starts like raining but like just where I am and I like look up and there's a deer in the tree above me uh dripping blood on me which is not great um so at that point I turned the safety off right (laughs) I'm like slowly backing up back to the house with my tail tucked between my legs I'm like well we learned a lesson here today guys and uh we're not gonna follow screams into the woods anymore so um yeah the cougars are the cougars are the biggest threat I think here um, and I mean, there are cougars in California. There are cougars yep. down in Texas. There are cougars everywhere. And they are very much usually not very scared of people. They, they know that we can't see them if they just hold still in cover and they will wait us out. They will like, if you ever get like that, like your hair on the back of your neck stands up while you're in the woods somewhere. It's cause you're being watched. You, like, <laughs> You're, it's because you're being watched probably by a cougar, right? which is bad because they could totally take you out. Like not to sound like really like crazy or scary, but like it, it's just an active fact of life when you live out here. Um, so like anytime you get that feeling, it's like, yeah, we're done for the day. Like we don't need more huckleberries, you know, like, right. <laughs> and well, we're out. <laughs> yeah. And well, where I grew up um, in Northern California, it was like that my mom's house backed up to the forest and we could hear them like up on that hill during um it was usually during like their mating season we would hear them but oh yeah i remember we i was like 
coming riding my bike home from like a friend's house and i heard it sound like some lady like screaming up the hill and i was like i don't know 12 maybe 13. so i go into the house and i go to go get my parents so that way they can help this person or whatever and they're like yeah we're not we're not doing that that's not what that was and i was like oh <laughs> see you were smarter than me at 12. good for you <laughs> well I wasn't about to charge, ride my bike up this hill into the forest at dusk, you know? That's smart. You made, you made a good call. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Your parents are like, we're, if it is a woman, she's already dead. And if yeah. it wasn't a woman, it's going to kill us too. So we're yeah. just going to, it's like, oh, that's, that's a nice outlook. But like, it's very pragmatic. You know, you got to appreciate that. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, they're and they're both from Southern California, from the Los Angeles area. So I'd imagine it was probably a learning experience for them when they moved up where all of a sudden these predators were very, very regularly interacting with the humans that also live there. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, the, the predators, I mean, when it comes down to it, they're very opportunistic. I don't think that they seek out people to kill and eat uh, usually, but like, just like with like the livestock it's like if you're making yourself an easy target if you're you know on the same jogging path every day and you're you know sick or mm -hmm. slow or you know and and they happen to also be very hungry it's like that's when we usually see human cougar conflicts um and that's you know not I'm not saying it's like a good thing at all I'm just saying like well it, it makes sense why they would pick off on like you know sick or injured humans somewhat um but yeah no it's uh cougars are, are legit like if you if you've watched like the revenant or whatever where he gets like torn up by that grizzly bear like uh -huh. three times it's rough to watch but it's actually very accurate on like how the bears actually like claw and tear. Um, you're more likely to survive a cougar attack than a mama bear, whether it's a black bear or a grizzly bear. Um, you just need to gouge the eyes with your thumbs. So see, I'm, I'm sharing so many weird fun <laughs> facts. Your listeners are going to be like, what podcast is this? And why am I listening to it? They're going to be like, so part one was weird. I'm not going to listen to part two. <laughs> part two will be great, guys. I'm so sorry. Part two is all about survival tips. You know, help That's, me help you. I'm in an, I kind of want to name the episode survival tips with Natalie. You should, you should. And they'll just be like, this is a uh, off topic and you should not have that lady back. But you know, it's, it's fine. That's fine. I'll just talk your head off for a couple hours. It's time. We'll, we'll just get it all out of there. It's fine. <laughs> um, okay. I, but to get back on topic. So I have questions yes. for you about um, the Livestock Guardians because they're probably your people listening who don't really know what it, what the term Livestock Guardian dog means or how they differ from like, you know, their house lab or yeah. whatever. So can you kind of explain yeah. what that is? Sure, sure. So first, I guess I can explain like the common undefinition, like the wrong definition that, 
you see on the internet a lot, which is basically, you know, a dog who doesn't kill my livestock and who barks sometimes when the neighbors walk by. Um, That does not a livestock guardian dog make, even though, you know, you think he's protecting your chickens. Um, When push comes to shove, if he gets hungry enough or, you know, um, a bigger dog comes in, he's probably either going to join them or hide. Uh, He's not going to put up a fight to the death to defend your chickens, probably your Labrador. Um, which if you have a chicken safe Labrador, like you're, you're a pretty good trainer. So that's good for you. Um, <laughs> but you'll, you'll read a lot about people with, uh, German shepherds labs, um, you know, just nor- retrievers herding dogs. They, they claim that their Queensland healer or their, you know, red healer is, you know, the best LGD they've ever had. Um, cause they don't need a fence. <laughs> Because they can just boundary train real easy. And they think that that's what the mark of a good LGD is. Um, So the actual definition is um, LGDs or livestock guardian dogs are uh, basically they started as land race dogs in different regions over Europe and Asia. And they were developed by shepherds to live with. So cohabitate 24-7 with livestock and the shepherds out on range. Um, Their job is to bond with the livestock, which is very different than just tolerating the livestock. Um, They actively bond with them and they protect them from other predators. So, um, which does entail, you know, these dogs have to be large enough to put up a decent fight with whatever you have for a local predator, whether it's one coyote or 15 coyotes. So if you have a pack of 15 coyotes, you obviously need more than one dog, but having a larger dog than a Labrador or a healer is indicated in any sort of predator conflict for sure. And then um, they need the proper coat. Um, There's over 30 livestock guardian dog breeds that are recognized today. And only one of them has a slick coat. The rest of them all have double coats, which is pretty typical for any dog that's made to go outdoors regularly. So they, they shed twice a year and they have guard hair and uh, the down undercoat. And then these dogs also have a very different brain function than other dogs. Um, they are, they've been selected over thousands of years in most cases to think independently of humans. Once they know their job, they do it on their own. They don't have to be told, hey, go bite that bear on the butt and run it off. They just go do that. They are also, uh, their brain also works on logic and opportunity rather than uh, biddability and indications from either situational, like, you know, cues or cues from the human. Um, So basically these dogs can analyze pros and cons of going and head on with that cougar versus holding back and staying between the cougar and the sheep, right? So that is a very different brain function than most, if not all other working and pet dogs. Um, You're not going to have a Czech shepherd who's trained in ring sport, who is making independent decisions on who to bite and when, right? Like that is such a liability. It's insane. Um, Which is why we don't recommend the livestock guardian dog breeds or bite work 
Um, not every big dog should be trained to bite humans, you know, um, because these dogs will decide themselves whether they like that person or not. And if they are trained that biting people is a good thing that they get rewarded for, um, you have a lawsuit regardless of if they're in your pen or not usually. So, um, you know, they're, they're different and it's hard to understand when you come from a pet dog perspective, when all you've ever had is pet dogs or even herding dogs. Like if you, even if you grew up on a ranch and you've always had healers or you've always had border collies. And so you're like, you're thinking like, no, no, Natalie, shut up. I understand working dogs. Um, yes, you do. I'm not saying you don't understand working dogs. You understand herders. Um, these are just different, different workers than what most people are used to. And it does take an adjustment both in ego on the human's part and also training methods. So that's why so many of them fail, I think, is because people treat the livestock guarding dogs like healers and they're, they're just not. Um, what, so you mentioned there's like, I think you said over, you either said over 30 or over 50 recognized um, guardian breeds. And- yeah, over 30. Okay. What are some of the most common breeds or what, um, what are the ones that you have? Sure. So the most common LGD breed in the U S and Canada today is the great Pyrenees. They're from the the border between France and Spain in the Pyrenean mountain range. Um, they are those big white fluffy dogs that you see everywhere. Um, and, um, they have been, bred for so long that there are actual divergent lines. Um, so you're going to have the ones that are bred for, you know, traditional work, uh, working livestock. And then you're going to have the ones that are actually like selected right now for service dog work or therapy dog. And, um, so it's a, like a different kind of selection. And it can be problematic if you're looking for a working livestock dog and you happen to buy from a breeder who for the last five to 10 generations has been selecting for no defense drive, just a big white fluffy teddy bear. Um, That's a problem, not only for your dog that will probably get killed by any predator that comes in, but also your livestock. So uh, knowing your lines is important, even when you go with the popular breeds. Um, other popular breeds are the Anatolian shepherd, which is basically a umbrella term for an LGD from Turkey. Turkey is a big country and there are many different, um, atmospheres or ecosystems there. There's mountains, there's desert, there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, so obviously the shepherds up in the mountains are going to have a different type of dog than the shepherds down the valleys, um, have. So there are regional types of, of livestock guardian dog all over the country. And what the, um, Americans here did with the Anatolian shepherd is basically say, um, we accept all livestock guardian dog from Turkey into our registry when the, and I think the subject is still open as long as you have a three gen pedigree um, with the club. So, and I'm, I'm a member of that club. It's, it's a big thing. Um, they, they do a lot of good work. They send Anatolian shepherds over to Africa 
to help farmers over there keep the cheetahs from eating their entire flocks of, I think, goats mostly. Um, so Anatolian shepherds are interesting. They are typically shorter haired. They're still double coat, but the shorter hair, tan body, black mask. Um, so they look like the puppy in my picture there. Um, they can have white markings. They, um, can actually come in almost any color other than Merle, uh, because Merle is classically hunting and herding, uh, pattern. So if you have a Merle dog pop out as an LGD run, but, um, they can be brindle. I've, I've got brindle ones. I've got a, uh, Dutch marked gray fawn and I've got a rough coat uh, gray fawn, which it means they just have a longer coat than the typical tight coat that you'll see on most Anatolians, um, which she's not as nearly as fluffy as a great Pyrenees. That's not, um, typical, but she just has longer guard hairs than most Anatolians. So she's considered a rough coat. Um, let's see other common ones. Uh, the Maremma sheepdog from Italy is also pretty common. They're another big white dog or BWD. Um, they are a little, a little straighter coat than, uh, the great Pyrenees, a little smoother, but, um, still a long haired white dog. Um, they're, they're pretty docile towards people usually, unless you find a specific line that's not. So those are pretty popular as a first livestock guardian dog for people. Um, I've trained a couple, but I don't, I don't own any of those. Um, other big white dogs are the Kuvas, which is from, uh, hungry, I believe. And they have more of a curly look to them than the like straight flowy hair. They're like a, a longer coated white dog. Um, the sharp knots, which I do have can come in a pure white color, but it's not very common. So um, usually it's a different breed. It's not a char. Um, the Commodore is a non-shedding, uh, big white dog, <laughs> LGD. Um, so they're the ones that kind of look like mops or they look like they have like plated armor on, which is just their hair that keeps growing until you shear them in the spring with the sheep. Um, I do not have any Commodores. Uh, they're very sharp in personality and I just don't want that level of grooming requirement. I don't want to have to shear my dog. Um, that's never something that has interested me personally. So that's why I don't have them. They're similar to the Shars in uh, temperament though. So I just found it in a different breed. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the, the more common ones that you'll see a lot of. The Spanish Mastiff is gaining popularity too. Um, those are, I mean, that's if you want 150 to 180 pound dog. So that, that's a lot of dog. Um, people like them cause they generally respect fences cause they're too big to hop a four foot fence, uh, usually. But, um, with that, you know, that size comes other health concerns that a lot of people aren't prepared for. Like hip dysplasia is a main one. Um, lots of shallow acetabellums. Uh, so like the cups for the hip to fit into. Um, so, you know, any, each breed has their pros and cons. So it's, it's a good idea to just use Dr. Google and, you know, figure out which breed would best fit you and your personality and your situation for sure. Don't take it from me. <laughs> okay. So you just taught me how to pronounce the name. Is it Mamera? Is that how you say it? Maremma. Maremma. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
I did not know how to pronounce that. I see, I see it written all the time. I'm like, how the hell do you say that? You hear them called Maramas, but I was told by someone who speaks Italian that's Marema, and I was like, oh, that's different. Yeah, sorry, I was writing down the pronunciation of it um, because I want to know. <laughs> um, so, what for like a typical livestock guardian dog, at least like on a property like yours, kind of what is their day-to-day look like or like what's the process of like how life kind of goes for them that sounds like a weird question to ask but like you said they're yeah for, for like an adult yeah so like I can see out my window right now I have three of them up on a hill sleeping so they they don't look like very uh productive animals most of the time during the daylight hours at least um but if you walk up on them, if you can like be sneaky, um, you'll notice that they actually sleep with an eye open, which is creepy when people do it. It's a little less creepy, I think, when dogs do it, especially like working dogs, but it's different. Um, so basically what happens is they, they basically conserve energy um, when they can. They're like sprinters, not marathon runners. So they're not out there like just exercising, running the pens, running the fence line for fun. They find a perch and they, that they can see all the livestock in the barn and everything else. And they just, they kind of like power down and go into like reserve battery mode, basically. Um, if I go outside, they will, they will get up and they'll like come check in. If I, you know, if they're barking, it's because something is moving that they didn't expect to move or someone is driving by really slow on the front of the property or there's a dog out from the neighbors or, you know, something, there's a reason if they're up and barking. And if I go outside, they'll like, go show me where it is. If I tell them like, what is it? Like, show me, they'll show me. Um, but yeah, a typical day. I mean, they, they'll go get water. They'll go check on the babies, especially like, so we have piglets right now and we've, we've got a lamb from January. Who's like mid-sized now, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll definitely watch the babies more because they think like they're helpless, little innocent beings. And then, um, they mostly do their work at night, but, um, they will, you know, patrol, they'll do perimeter barking and then, um, which, you know, perimeter barking is part of their job. And it's what most people complain about the most with these dogs. Cause they, they do bark outwards. So towards your neighbors, um, to establish territory. And, um, it's basically one of the ways they communicate with other predators. So by doing perimeter barking, they're like standing on your property line and barking out saying like, Hey, I'm here. Don't come here. I'll kick your butt to like all the other wolves and coyotes and bears and cougars and whatever else you got. So, um, it's actually pretty effective, but it also is very annoying if you're a neighbor who has zero livestock, zero reason for a dog to be keeping predators away. And you really like, you like seeing nature on your game cams, or if you're within like 50 feet of a fence line with your bedroom window, right? Like, so there's, there's considerations, but, um, the rest of the time, if they're up and moving, they're, um, going around sniffing for sign of other things. They're peeing everywhere um even the females will go mark territorially um which is not super common in in most dog breeds but it's more common than the lgds the females will go mark 
property lines and um, key spots in the pasture. And then, um, yeah, I mean, mostly if they're not eating or drinking or sleeping, like they're, they're working. (laughs) And even when they're sleeping, you know, they usually are keeping an eye out. And if one of them gets up and upset, uh, as long as it's not the puppy, uh, so I've got a six month old puppy out there who's in training with the big dogs. And as long as it's not the puppy, who's the first one to become upset, uh, one dog gets up, everybody gets up and it's on the move. It's not a like, Oh, just let them handle it kind of situation. So, yeah. Well, cool. That's super. I think that's super helpful for people who don't really know anything about livestock guardians or what they do. Um, cause I know in a lot of like social media posts, it's just like, Oh, there's a big white dog laying over there in the corner. That's all. Yeah. You see a lot on social media. Um, I like to remind people that what you see on social media is a curated, sorry, I have a crying human child because why not? Um, it's curated and it's biased usually. And, not everybody knows what they're doing with their dogs. Um, just like TikTok videos, of people doing like crazy things to their, even their pet dogs. And I'm just like that, who told you that was a good idea? Like putting a baby on top of a sleeping dog. Who told you that was a good idea? But you see that all the time on social media. And um, so just because you see it on the internet doesn't make it a great idea. It's a good general rule. That reminded me of something you said when we talked on the phone the other day. Um, you said like when you're looking at photos of uh, quote unquote guardian dogs, you can tell by the body language of the animals um, if that's really like a guardian dog or if it's just an, a dog that's there that's stressing out the animals. Yeah, post photography is a big issue um, because every everyone who's producing puppies likes to say oh, I I have working dogs, working lines, very fancy, good workers, solid workers, especially if they're overseas trying to sell to the quote unquote rich Americans. Um, You'll see them post pictures of their dogs either on like lush manicured lawns, which um, most places overseas guarantee they don't own that. They took the dog to the park. That dog doesn't see grass at home, probably. Uh, it's, it doesn't mean it's like right or wrong. It's just, it's different than we do things here, but they know that. So they go and take post photos off their property to make it look like the dogs know what grass is, you know? Um, and people who go the extra step of taking their pet dog who lives in a, like a four by eight kennel, 90% of its life in concrete, um, they'll take it to their friend's farm and they'll run the dog out and then try to take pictures of it with the sheep or the goats to prove to the Americans that the dog is, you know, working and stock saving and good with the sheep. And they, they think that this will help their sales with, you know, people who want to import from overseas. And it does like, sadly it works. So like, I see why they do it. But, um, so when you're looking at pictures of these dogs, if you're like, there's a, obviously the dog is going to hopefully be like the center of the attention of the photo. And then if you look in the background and you see every head of whatever herd of whatever it is, every single head is turned towards the dog and watching the dog. They don't, those animals do not know that dog. They see it as a threat, a threat and a predator, not as a guardian for their flock. So, um, and now that you hear this, you'll be able to go point it out pretty easily now. 
but if you never get told, um, it's easy to get hoodwinked, <laughs> which is a fun word. Yeah. So I think we talked on the phone, like it was only maybe three or four days ago. I think it was on Tuesday and it's Sunday today or something like that. And, um, I've noticed in some of the photos that I've seen and not from like, uh, not necessarily from people who are claiming their dogs are guardians, but I see it more of like, um, working dogs on like branches of like accounts I follow. And I've noticed like the body language there and I'm like, Oh, interesting. But it's not something I ever would have like given stock to before, or, like paid special attention to before. Yeah. And you know, they count on that, but and there's also the po- very distinct possibility that they're not looking at the dog. They're looking at the photographer. Right. So, right. Um, but if you get multiple views and the photographer actually moves, you can pick out pretty quick that they're, they're really concerned about that dog. Um, which doesn't mean it's a bad dog. It doesn't mean you're going to get a terrible puppy from them. But what it does mean is that maybe they're marketing and not just showing. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Good to know. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for part one of my interview with Natalie. Don't forget next week, we'll be back with part two. You can find her online as Practical Farm Girl on Instagram or under uh, Apex Anatolians on Facebook or her website. Have a great Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.